Welcome back to Series 9 of Game Changers. Series 9, on behalf of Adriano and the whole team, I want to thank everyone for their amazing support of our little podcast. Our most recent Series 8 has continued to build our audience reach, with the series continuing to smash our listener numbers. Your encouragement of us has been inspiring. As of today, we've had over 200,000 episode listens from over 50 countries across the world, and it's growing each day. Our team has been amazing. Thank you to Oliver, our producer, and to Kyle and to Matt too for all that they do to help make everything happen. Now, let's turn our focus on our Series 9 theme, the science of learning. The learning sciences have such a rich and ever-evolving research-driven body of knowledge and understanding that can support us to better understand how we learn and how we as educators can shape the practice that puts our purpose most usefully in the service of our people and our place and our planet. We all need a bit of theory drawn from the experience of others to help us think about how we might validate and sharpen our own practice towards improving outcomes from all learners. And when I say outcomes, I mean physical, emotional, social, psychological, and spiritual, as well as intellectual. Because great learning meets the development of the whole person. That's why we talk about the whole of learning here at The Game Changers. Good theory can be used flexibly and creatively by teachers in their planning and practice. Good leadership supports teachers with the time and space they need individually and collectively to break down the quantum of research into ideas and concepts that might valuably inform a process of iterative experimentation in curriculum, pedagogy and assessment and the improvement of the systems and operations of learning and care. Each of us as practitioners must assemble an ecosystem for our learners using the theory we have gained from the research as the building blocks for our own process. And that's why on this series of the Game Changers podcast, Adriano and I want to take up the research mindset and explore the science of learning together with you, our listeners, and the Game Changers themselves. So to begin with, we're going to share with you some of the key building blocks that help us to take the big step forward and up to construct the new social contract of education, today's learning for tomorrow's world. Adriano, I'm excited. I can't wait. Let's go. Before we start our conversation, Phil, can you share with our audience a little bit about our Series 9 sponsor and their exciting new app, Voyage? Of course, Adriano. A School for Tomorrow is a globally recognised network that supports students, educators, school leaders and their communities to thrive in the new world environment. Voyage is a purpose-driven way for students to plan their future, experience life and thrive. They'll map and evaluate their progress on their journey as they build their character and the healthy habits that support it. Mentors and peers can check in on them and provide reflection and feedback as their crew. Best of all, it's free. Search Voyage on the Apple App Store or Google Play Store or visit the link in the description to find out more. Life's an adventure. Let's go. Well, Phil, I haven't seen you this excited in ages. It must be uh, from the Australian Open. Have you recovered? Oh, look, you know, I, I just barely, at least I've got our comprehensive win in the men's ashes and I've got that exciting series in the women's ashes as well too to counterbalance those things. It's good to be balanced. The People's Democratic Republic of Fitzroy is noted for its balance and equilibrium on all matters. We have both oat milk and almond milk available in lattes. Uh, yes, apparently so. Okay, enough of this nonsense, Phil. It's great to be with you again on, on another series of The Game Changers. Uh, our theme, of course, as you said from the top of the show, is all about the science of learning. And in our previous uh, series, eight of The Game Changers podcast, 
we did explore with, with remarkable guests uh, the model of schooling. It continues to be broken and that there is a need to transform learning to meet the needs of our rapidly moving uh, world. And it's so acute and, and it's something that we just cannot no longer delay. The changes taking place in our new world environment challenge us and our learners to become change ready, to grow and to transform ourselves with the critical character and competencies we need to thrive in the 21st century underpinned of course by wellness, which we know comes first. We also know that already that we need to do this within learning ecosystems that are human-centered, that are tech-enriched, that are people, place and planet conscious and intentionally purposeful. We know that the schooling process itself is a critical component of the pathway to excellence, a journey of exploration and encounter and discovery that becomes a way of being, a life of purpose. We know that what we do must not only be grounded in the evidence of what works in our own experiences of learning, it must also be driven by what research tells us will help us to learn, to live, to lead and to work with success. So the question is this, this is what we're wondering, this is our provocation. How can we use emerging research about the science of learning to inform the design and the development of transformative learning and the ecosystems which house these, this learning? I believe that the most effective learning environments are where constructive, self-regulated and ultimately self-determined learning is fostered, where the learning is sensitive to one's context and where collaboration complements individual growth and mastery. I'm also conscious that not all learning takes place in a physical classroom. And so I'm mindful that I need to be open to learning via a combination of an on-campus, online, in-context and in-country experiences. I've long been interested in these, in, in these following ideas, Phil, uh, around the learning sciences that have helped me personally frame my approach as a teacher. The first one is around the construct of service learning. Education engages students in active citizenship through community service. This type of experiential approach is premised on providing learners with contextualized learning experiences based on authentic real world situations in local and global communities all that supports the development of their emotional competencies and social and cultural awareness. The second area of my interest, of course, is learning with technology. You know, human-centered approaches to technology enriched learning can empower learners and equip them with the technical, the digital, and of course, the human tools to build effective learning environments, which may include greater personalization, cooperative learning, managing formative assessment, and many kind of inquiry-based approaches. The third on my kind of list of exploration has been around the homeschool partnership. You know, at A School for Tomorrow, we recognise that parents are the primary educators of their children. So building connections with the home and school, I feel, is vital to, to learner success. This includes proactively involving families in their children's whole learning experience. Next up, of course, is around, you know, the area of assessment, something that's often discussed uh, ad nauseum across podcasts and, and across the educational world and the conferences. And this particular focus is, for me, is around formative assessment. Formative evaluation and self-reflection guides learners to better outcomes by providing feedback that continually informs the learner, the teacher, and the learning itself. Asking questions like, where are the learners in the learning? Where am I going? How am I going? Where to next? Or even better if, 
My fifth area is, of course, inquiry-based approaches. All learners need opportunities to develop higher-order cognitive skills to thrive in today's world. We know that. One important context to do this is through inquiry-based approaches via complex, meaningful projects that require sustained engagement, collaboration, research, management of resources, and the development of performance, product, or even the notion of solving a wicked problem. And finally, how can we look past the construct of social learning? We all know that neuroscience has confirmed for us that we learn through social interaction and exchange. Therefore, an innovative learning environment should be highly social. Things like cooperative group work with demonstrated benefits for achievement, as well as for wellness, behavioral and effective outcomes. And personal research and opportunities of autonomous learning should increase as students navigate their primary and secondary years. So there's a lot there to reflect upon for our listeners. So much to consume. What about you, Phil? What have you responded to in terms of the science of learning? How has it helped you to kind of form and shape your own thinking about learning going forward? Well, thank you, Adriana, and thank you for sharing uh, in, in such um, rich detail those theories that inform you. I actually really like the way, um, uh, and I just sort of noticed this as, as we were listening to it, I really like the way that those six theories correspond so well to the six corridors of the global high-performance culture standards of, of a school for tomorrow. You know, service learning corresponds to culture. Uh, learning with technology responds to leadership and future building. Homeschool partnerships enhance learning. Formative assessment is about performance, inquiry-based approach. That's that's the citizenship of strategy. And social learning, of course, is about team creation. It's about systems and operations. So just naturally, I love the way in which what you're thinking about aligns with our research. And it, it's, it's, it's just like a lovely little metaphor for the way in which everything that we do is a negotiation between our own experience and what the world is telling us around us. Um, that, that we might pursue profitably through the learning sciences. Um, many of my own theories and understandings um, about learning have been informed by similar approaches and similar concepts. And, and I, I know that uh, uh, we, we share many thinkers alike in education uh, who influence us. I've been influenced a lot by the fields of neuroscience, by the psychology of mastery learning and of motivation and engagement in learning. Self-determination is pretty important to me. Character development, mastery, the development of expertise and the importance of evidence uh, of the impact of my work to support the growth of my practice. But for me, the science of learning needs to go beyond the ideas that influence me. It's about the, how they connect to my own journey as a learner and as a leader in education. And to do this, of course, I want to tell a story. Uh, this story needs to show how I form and am formed by my sense of purpose and put this into practice through my respect for people and place and planet. It needs to explain how to build the ecosystem that houses all of this process. And it needs to answer the question, what does good learning look like? It needs to help us drill down further by asking, what helped you form that view? And what's the science that, will, that informed your thinking along the way? Um, so let me illustrate this by sharing one story of my own learning about learning in depth. Um, you know, the recent news about Professor Mirica Gross, the great professor of gifted education at the University of New South Wales, has given me pause to think about the contribution of her work in the science of learning to the profession as a whole and to my own work. In the 1990s, I was just one of a crowd, I was nothing in particular, um, learning 
from this great thinker, this great thought leader in education. And her research taught me how gifted children see, feel, and experience the world differently, that they're not the same as other children. She taught me about their often earlier cognitive and moral development, about their high sensitivity and openness and creativity that often correlates with greater challenges in socialization because they are different. She emphasized the importance of their academic development, but also taught me about how to see beyond one realm to see value and dignify the whole person, the component parts, as well as the whole system, and how to think about the whole of learning required to support them. I learned of their earlier and lifelong need for greater autonomy and problem solving, but also of their need for an equivalent amount of scaffolding, that bright children won't just do well whatever the circumstances. I learned that if I didn't differentiate, then I would pitch to my cognitive to the cognitive level of those students who my unconscious bias dictated that I would privilege over the rest of the students in my care. From this learning about these students, I began to improve how I might observe and learn about each of my students to hear their story, appreciate their emerging agency and validate their advocacy. I began to explore how to help all students to co-create personalized pathways and distinctive approaches to inspire, to challenge and to support them that are based on meeting their different needs and then aligning this to standards that define external expectations for the whole group. I learned to follow and tend to the pathways of individual learners and their shifting zones of proximal development. I learned how to invert Bloom's taxonomy and on a Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I learned to set different work, not more work. I learned how to integrate knowledge, skills, dispositions and habits into whole connected competencies rather than segment, isolate and decontextualize the stuff of learning. And as I learned that many, many, many more great thinkers and theoreticians might be out there to help shape my own practice, well, I think that's when I really began to focus on my learning about learning more than just learning about the field of history um, in which my earlier academic career and practice had been grounded. I think I became an educator who loved history rather than an, an historian who taught kids. And I think that this made all the difference in the transformation of my purpose and my practice. You know, I really love what uh, you, you shared with us just then, uh, Phil, and thank you very much for, for giving us an insight of, of the evolution of of your understanding about learning and, and your practice of that learning. It's, uh, it's really quite profound. And what you are saying here is all really about this kind of interconnectedness between all the things that, that you've learned uh, and, and ultimately its influence on you and your practice. You know, when people think about the science of learning these days, they often just focus on one piece. Typically, the principles that are most applicable to what teachers do in the classroom to support academic achievement, such as motivating and engaging students to learn, helping students to understand new ideas, applying them in their context. Uh, and, and of course, the demonstration of technical outcomes that a, that a syllabus, uh, you know, a prescribed curriculum uh, uh, dictates. But this is not the complete picture of what might allow all learners to fully flourish in today's new world environment especially as we consider the development of their character, their competency and wellness, and the quality and the consistency of their contribution to people, to place, and of course, to the planet. As our listeners have heard us say many, many times before, academic achievement is so important in schools. We get it. But it's not the only thing that matters in our whole school or whole education. It's not all about pure academic achievement. In the same way, as it's not all about cognitive development. There is also so much 
for us as educators who are also learners to learn about in the world of the learning sciences that can help us to shape the whole of learning in a way that will improve outcomes for all learners and of course ourselves. This requires all schools to recognize individual difference as you just eloquently stated. It requires us to embrace diversity as a strength of an innovative learning environment. It means that we need to consider the personal circumstances, their interests, their motivational levels, the emotional and cognitive abilities, the socio-environmental and economic situations, cultural, linguistic, and so on. Innovative learning environments or ecosystems need to reflect these individual and patterned differences moving away from this one size fits all model. Being sensitive to individual differences also means providing learning opportunities for challenge and stretch, supporting each learner to reach above their existing capacity level. This underscores the need to also avoid cognitive overload and demotivating activities that are simply based on grinding out results or excessive pressure from standardized examinations. And you know how much I love those things, Phil. This leads to assessment for learning. Innovative learning environments need to be very clear about what are the desired learning outcomes, how they can provide evidence for their learning, and simply why. Assessment should be rigorous for each learner, supported by meaningful feedback, not just for the individual, of course, but used to constantly shape direction and practice in the learning environment. So much of what we are seeing in these different theories of learning builds onto or replaces that which we already know. But certainly, the ideas are all connected. I am so interested in the dynamic interplay of emotions, motivation and cognition and how they are inextricably linked. The positive self-worth and self-efficacy of learners are at the core component of their capacity to understand and ultimately adapt. The impact of each learner's emotional competency needs to be recognized in their academic performance. Paying attention to fostering each student's intrinsic motivation isn't just about making school more enjoyable, although we know that has value. It's about making the learning more effective in achieving expectations and that are relevant to the individual's goals, growth, and of course, deep sense of belonging. I love what you're saying, Adriano, this, this research-driven notion of the need to balance personalisation and alignment in learning is such an important aspect of all parts of education today. Um, our world needs us to personalise the experience of success for the individual learner and then to align it with the social expectations for achievement. We also need to personalise and align our own process for working out what learning should be and how we're going to work towards creating it with our learners. And to do this, we need to embrace a research mindset about our own practice and to develop a methodology um, as to how we might implement it. Over time, I've come to realise that there are three key features to the method of research that I typically use to ensure what I believe about learning is grounded in evidence. The first choose your purpose. Now, we know that education is the global vehicle of social mobility. It, it, it is the human system with the greatest potential to make the greatest difference in the lives of people everywhere. My own family, um, going back two or three generations, has always benefited um, from education in this respect. Yet this system and the schools and other institutions in it can't be all things to all people. We teachers can't do everything that's asked of us. If we want to be excellent, we must choose what is really important to us and work hard at doing it better and better over time. 
So for me, what matters most is the growth, development and attainment of the character, competency and wellness of students that will equip them with the adaptive expertise and self-efficacy to thrive in their world. Now, I've learned so much in recent years from you, Mr. DePrado, and from uh, an approach to learning and education that's grounded in an epistemology and a theology that speak to a deep consciousness of the other. We must always be cognizant that as we work on this with our learners, um, that each is a home to a unique life whose possibility must be treasured. That's why I talk about character being the purpose of school and the whole work of a school. And that's why the knowledge architecture of a school for tomorrow has been developed accordingly to help apply this purpose in schools to honour the new social contract of education. And that is creating today's learning for tomorrow's world. Second thing I talk about, find your crew. Um, together, we need to build a team that over time can become better and better at achieving its purpose. How we choose this team is important. Not everybody will agree with, with what we think matters most. So we need to identify and build a community of inquiry and practice with those whose vision, values, intention and means um, align with our own. We need the humility and compassion to recognise that no one can do it all by themselves. We also need the gratitude and patience to strive for excellence over time without ever aiming for or achieving perfection. You know, in the words of our colleague, uh, Leanne Wilson, who speaks with the wisdom of over 65,000 years uh, of the practice of learning in Australia by First Nations people, we need to learn from others, learn with others, do it ourselves and share with others. At the same time, we can't just construct a bubble to protect us from the views of others in, a, in the world around us. We can't just simply surround ourselves with people who are exactly the same or whose thinking does not challenge and test our own. We need to be deeply invested in the potential of our crew and ensure that the culture of how we do things here allows us to perform and achieve results that both meet expectations and reveal an academic integrity that comprises what my parents taught me, the pursuit of intellectual truth, based on moral values with which you can sleep at night. The third thing I talk about with my research methodology is that notion of exploring, encountering and discovering. And we need to create a team with different strengths and ways of seeing the world with whom we might do the work of improving outcomes for more learners in a manner that is supported by evidence and driven by research. My most significant colleagues in the classroom have taught me that it's important to work hard and to develop theories about how learning works best. Over time, they've also helped me to see that it's dangerous to lock these ideas in too early in the process. We need to evolve before we capture. We need to plan a method and approach to learning that research tells us is most likely to work. We need to put this method into practice, and then we need to live through the learning of our students and ourselves in this own context. From this, we might gather and analyse the evidence of the impact of learning and form a hypothesis as to how the process may have led to these results. Then we need to test and test this hypothesis, iterating the process that sits behind the method based on what we've learned. We need to calibrate this experience to the learning of theorists and scholars who've weighed up what learning looks like across many contexts and adapt our thinking about our earlier hypothesis. Finally, we need to align all of our learning about learning so that we present a narrative with the projected vision, vocabulary, volume and velocity of learning in a manner which meets the needs of individual learners to leave their mark on the world 
while honouring the expectations of those around them, that they will measure up to shared standards and expectations. And to do this requires us to ascertain the weight of evidence for our views. And as our colleague Brad Adams, whose profound body of work in global education is deeply grounded in a scholarship and empirical method, might remind us, we must always ask ourselves the question, how would you know? Yes, yes, yes. Thank you, Phil. Thank you for sharing this very personal perspective on the process of research and the scientific method by which we can form our ideas in education. Perhaps what we might be able to do next then is to summarise how we at A School for Tomorrow have started to synthesise the external research on the science of learning with the findings of our own global research practice and put this together in recent times into a set of ideas which is, which is our own purpose-driven approach to learning. Okay, so let's do this thing. If we are going to rise to the oft-heard but seldomly understood challenge of 21st century education, to which you alluded earlier, Adriano, what we do in schools must go beyond content transmission and testing and sorting by examination. We must support the transformation of people from who they are now to who they might become, to become the best versions of themselves. Throughout our exploration at A School for Tomorrow of what we call the way, we examine the eight most important things we've learned about the transformational nature of an education for character. The first, as you've heard me say so many times, character is why we do school. The development of whole young people of character who wrestle with their sense of who they should be, and that's realisation, and what people expect of them, and that's replication, to belong entirely to their civic institutions, fulfil their potential, and live with the integrity of a set of beliefs about what is good and right is the most fundamental reason for any school to exist. It is the purpose of school. Secondly, what educators think about character matters. What teachers think and feel about character and its relationship to their educational purpose shapes and directs the development, attainment, and measurement of future fit civic performance and moral character and competencies, as well as the expression of these in a set of desired graduate outcomes in a school. And then we move to our third kind of component here, that character is the whole work of a school. How we think about our character practice and connect this to the context, design and experiences of character learning across all aspects of school, help us to locate and assess our work through a coherent model of character education that describes how learning occurs within a community of inquiry and practice. One that is dedicated to the attainment of a clear set of desired graduate outcomes based on a future fit civic performance and moral character related competencies and of course, to wellness. Our fourth dimension is that character development relies on relationship. The quality of character learning in a school is primarily the product of both specific learning relationships of character apprenticeship in which competency is crafted and also the way that those relationships bring together all learners in a community of inquiry and practice that is sharply focused on improving the delivery of the school's graduate outcomes. We're halfway through our list of a school for tomorrow's approach to the science of learning, particularly in character education. The fifth dimension is that character education works best when it is deliberate, targeted, and intentional. The consistency of character learning in a school is a reflection of a school's willingness to embrace the need for strategic educational development that embeds 
character, competency and wellness into every facet of school life in a deliberate, targeted and intentional way. This requires the adoption of a strategic approach to building the right learning culture and the collaborative development of a conceptual and documentary framework for evidence that will help a school move beyond being just intentional to becoming a school of character in every respect. The sixth dimensional principle is that school leaders show the way forward. School leaders build character capital in the school community through their character labour, primarily through role modelling and developing character competency. Character education efficacy results from their will and their capacity to embed a shared commitment to what we want, why we want it, and how we do it in character education. Bring it home, Amico. Well, number seven, you know, a good school, as we know, focuses on the education of the whole person, but a great school assembles the ingredients of high-performance culture in the delivery of this education. A great school, a school of character, identifies this kind of secret source of aspirations, a sense of kinship, and pathways to success, then applies this to a culture of inspiration, challenge, and support. This culture fosters the pursuit of excellence by young people of character and the sense of belonging to an engagement within school. It keeps them in their groove and holds them in the educational purpose of desired outcomes based on future fit civic performance and moral character and their related competencies and wellness. And our eighth final dimension is we are called as educators to help others strive for excellence and develop their character and competency. What is clear to us now from our research is that what makes an education excellent is the quality and consistency of an education for character, competency, and wellness that underpins it. In other words, when the character of an education is defined by, framed within, and aligned with a community's aspirations for the character, competency, and wellness of its graduates, then we can really begin to see what an education can do. It is more than just a series of learning activities uh, pursued for their own sake. Our research shows that the fundamental purpose of an excellent education should be the development of the whole character of the learner. There we go. We would submit these eight principles of the way as a school for tomorrow's first contribution to the science of learning, a set of ideas drawn from a decade of global research about the purpose and character of school. There is a second contribution that our team have been working on, particularly during the pandemic over the past few years. And we've used these enduring principles and the experiences of our global network of colleagues and schools um, and, and the network of a school for tomorrow and the thousands and thousands of followers who've engaged in conversation with us about what's happening in their school, in their learning community, to sketch out an approach to the practice of continuous learning that can help us honour the new social contract of education. And that is, of course, creating today's learning for tomorrow's world. You know, Phil, continuous learning is a flexible online and offline approach to the design, the development and delivery of learning and teaching that allows all to access learning from their own location, anytime, anywhere, by anyone. Continuous learning does not prescribe a particular pedagogical approach, but has the potential to support student-centred and student-led approaches to personalised learning progress. Both curricular and specific opportunities within an overall innovative learning environment for the whole of learning must be centred on fostering the knowledge, the skills, dispositions and habits of self-directed learning 
with 21st century ca capabilities such as enterprise thinking and emotional intelligence strategically interwoven in all learning experiences. Fundamentally, continuous learning promotes adaptive expertise and self-efficacy in future fit character and competencies underpinned by wellness that allow people to thrive uh, and which are essential in a world that is constantly shifting and demanding greater capacity and higher performance. Adaptive expertise means human beings growing in character, competence, and wellness, and using these to solve known and new problems. It is, in essence, our commitment to growth. Self-efficacy means human beings organising themselves and their learning, living, leadership, and work to optimise their character, competency, and wellness so that they can thrive in their world. It is our capacity to be the best version of ourselves that we can be. You know, um, thank you for sharing that, Phil, because it, it moves to, the, to, to this kind of other dimension of thriving. And thriving means human beings applying their character, their competency and wellness to learn, to live, to lead and to work well in this world. Where they can have the integrity to lead meaningful lives as good people, have the ability to manage complexity with authenticity as future builders where they can grow and transform themselves as continuous learners and unlearners, provide sustainable direction to the world as solution architects, where they can balance the local, the regional and the global with perspectives as responsible citizens. And of course, where they can work well in relationship with others and the planet and their places to bring success and fulfillment for all as team creators. You know, our, our notion of continuous learning also emphasises the development of voice, agency and advocacy by students who can exercise the sorts of skills increasingly prioritised in today's workplace and society, including the capacity to sort, process and understand and generate complex information and concepts, to think systematically and critically, to ask meaningful and deep questions to make decisions utilizing different forms of evidence, to communicate with clarity and empathy, tell a compelling story of yesterday and today, and of course of tomorrow, and to be able to analyze and solve real world problems through creative, flexible and resourceful means, navigating as global digital uh, citizens across this digital landscape. We know that we need to place learners at the center of any kind of continuous learning paradigm. All learners, are the key agents in the school environment. And therefore, all learning opportunities center on their social and emotional growth, as well as the development of their cognition and metacognition. Learning opportunities that allow multiple entry points for students to construct their learning through active engagement and exploration, calling for a mix of pedagogies, which include guided and, and action approaches, as well as inquiry-based and service learning in an environment that fosters self-directed learning learners, I should say, who can develop metacognition skills, optimize the acquisition and transfer of knowledge and skills, support the regulation of emotions and manage study and planning and set higher personal and collective goals for learning attainment and growth. What we now understand about human development and learning has come a long way since we began crafting our schools and a shift in our design and approach can better align the way we teach with the way students learn. For years, great teachers have been doing things in classrooms across the globe that embody what the effective learning sciences are confirming about their relationship with the cognitive sciences. Relationships matter deeply because people matter. That learning happens when the brain feels safe and supported because everyone needs to feel seen and valued. And finally, 
no child is a lost cause because we should never forget that each person in our learning community is home to a unique life. Thank you, Adriano, for sharing this call to action at the end, one that places the lives and learning journeys of children at the centre of our future-focused and innovative learning ecosystems. That's enough from us about the science of learning that informs, inspires and challenges us. Thank you for allowing us to tell our own personal stories of growth as learners and, and to share the learning of the team at a school for tomorrow about the way and continuous learning. It's time to listen to the voices of others who can poke us and prompt us to continue to adapt and organise our thinking about today's learning for tomorrow's world. In Series 9 of the Game Changers podcast, we once again have 11 remarkable educators, thinkers and social entrepreneurs who will challenge our binary thinking and inspire us on our journey to designing a better normal. Game changers who will plant the seeds for each of us to grow in our understanding of the science of learning. I'm excited to learn from our Series 9 Game Changers about how they're locating and sharing the science that can tell us how to make the how of school about the why. I can't wait to talk with them about how we can use emerging research about the science of learning to inform the design and development of transformative learning and the ecosystems which have this learning. Let's go. Game Changers is a podcast for those who want to change the game of school. Produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions and powered by a school for tomorrow, Game Changers is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play and SoundCloud. Tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe. Let's go.